I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. We invite you to continue in our study in the book of Romans as we look at the abundant Christian life. Our text today is Romans chapter 15, verses 8 through 13. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 8, Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause, I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah, or we could also say Isaiah, saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of of the Holy Ghost. Some time ago, I read a story of two mountain villages, and one of these villages got its water from a mountain spring. In the summer months, when the weather was dry, that spring would dwindle down until there was barely a trickle of water coming into that little village. There's just barely enough water to keep the village alive until wetter weather comes in. In the center of the other village, there's a fountain that's always flowing with a seemingly endless supply of thirst-quenching, life-sustaining water. It is an artesian well that continues to gush regardless of how dry the summer months become, and the village always has an abundance of water for its own needs and for the needs of others. Now, these two towns stand as a parable for you and me as we examine this text. They picture the two different kinds of Christian life that are available to each one of us. Some believers live a life that is like a dwindling, trickling little stream that barely gives evidence of its existence. Others seem to live a life that's overflowing with the spiritual blessings of the redeemed, peace, joy, and power. When Jesus was here on this earth, he said that he came to give us abundant life, John chapter 10 and verse 10. This is a life that's overflowing with all of the blessings of the Spirit of God. And he tells us that when we trust him, we will be like that artesian well. Our life will literally gush with the overflow of his work within us, according to John chapter 4 and verse 14. So I ask each and every one of us, 
Which scene more accurately pictures the kind of life that we are living? The dead, dry Christian is a contradiction by its very nature. Jesus did not save us to be listless, to be dry, dull, barely clinging to spiritual life. He saved us to be filled with his glory, his peace, and his joy. And he saved us to overflow with a spiritual bounty, according to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. According to that verse, he has already given all we need to enjoy the abundant Christian life. What we need to do is learn how to appropriate what the Lord has continually already given to us. Now, some examples of this kind of living are the apostles of our Lord. Before they were filled with the Spirit, they were prone to failures. They were prone to petty jealousy and other sins of the flesh. However, after Pentecost, they were changed men. They were filled with power. They were filled with joy. And even in the darkest hours, they were able to rest in their faith in Christ. These were men who had joy in spite of persecution. They lived a life of overflowing spiritual blessings. And this is a life that's available to every single one of God's children, even me, even you. These verses tell us exactly how we can receive it. We're told that there's two ministries performed on our behalf that make the abundant life possible. I want to share them with you this morning. Verses 8 through 12, we see the glory of the Savior's ministry for us. The glory of the Savior's ministry for us. Verse 8 tells us that Jesus is a minister. That is, he has a work that he does on the behalf of others. When he was here, he spoke about his role as a minister in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. The Bible is very clear when it teaches that Jesus Christ came to this world to be the Savior of the Jews. God further references his promises to the Jewish people in verse 8. And he also makes it very clear that he came into this world to be their Savior in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Since our inception, in fact, since our ministry inception, we have opened up with a verse and claimed it, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, where Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. His primary goal in coming as Christ was to be the Jewish Messiah. That was made clear in the events of Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. He came to the Jews. He came to fulfill the promises and the prophecies that God had made to the Jews all through the years. In fact, in every area of his life and everything he did, Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled every aspect of Jewish law and of the prophets. Jesus proved in every detail that he was the Messiah. Yet, the Jews stumbled over the fact that he came as a suffering Messiah. They could not understand that his ministry was to be carried out in two different distinct parts. In his first coming, he was to die for the sins of the people. In his second coming, he would restore the Jewish kingdom. 
He came to his own, John chapter 1 and verse 11 says, and his own received him not. Because they stumbled over the cross, Paul would later detail and offer commentary in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 23. In that day, the nation as a whole rejected him, but there were individuals who actually received him. And that's how it works today. There are Jews saved here and there. However, the day will come when the whole nation of Israel will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the minister to every Jew who will receive him today. Now, verses 9 through 12 reveals that God has prophecies that he's given to the Gentile people as well. In the next four verses, 9 through 12, Paul gives us four distinct quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes once from the Pentateuch, the law, twice from the Psalms, and once from the prophets. He's using the Jewish scriptures to show the Jews that God has opened the door of salvation completely wide for the Gentiles to enter. Now thank God that salvation is not just for the Jews. If that were the case, then you and I would be completely left out. But the Bible tells us that any lost person in the world who will trust Jesus can and will be saved. That's the essence of the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. When Saul of Tarsus was saved by the grace of God, he was given a commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15 proclaims, Go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel to bear my name to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9 verse 15. Also in Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. Thank God that wherever sinners are found, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their background, they can be saved by grace and brought into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He broke down the wall of partition that separated sinners from God and has reconciled us to the Father by the blood of his cross. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. That is what Jesus did for humanity. He came as a minister of salvation for all that will receive him by faith. And as we explore verse 13, we see the glory of the Spirit's ministry for us. This verse is one that overflows with the glory of God. Notice the words fill and abound. These words refer to that which is filled to the top and it's overflowing. The Lord wants us to know that as his children, not only as he redeemed us and given us a relationship with himself, but he has also fixed it so that life doesn't have to be dull, dry, and boring. He wants us to know that we can live lives that are overflowing with the best of his blessings every single day. And this verse shares with us some truths related to that glorious fact. First, we see the author of abundant life. The Bible tells us that God is the giver of abundant life. 
Many people live a life that's in a rut. They do the same things over and over and over, the same way, same time, same day, every day of the week. There's no excitement. There's no overflowing joy. They never seem uh, to get out of their rut. They never see anything out of the ordinary. That's not the kind of life that Jesus saved us to live. He saved us to live a life that's filled with his presence, his power, his glory, a life that's extraordinary and overflowing in the unusual. When a person is walking with the Lord as they should be, they will be constantly seeing the Lord's hand at work in their lives and around them in a wonderful, supernatural way. Do you want a life that's different? Do you want a life that's filled with the wonder of God's work in and around you? Well, Paul says the way to have that kind of life is to get to God. He alone can give you that kind of life because you are his child. The secret lies in being saved and living in close proximity to the Father. Jesus promised his children that their lives would be different if they came to him, John chapter 7 and verse 38. You can be saved and still live a life that's dry as a corn shock. If you do not live as close to him as you should, you will probably think the Christian life is boring, that church life is dead, and that your life is no different than that pagan who lives like next door to you. If you want to live an abundant life that Jesus can give, it requires you to walk in close communion with the Savior. This might mean that you have to start praying. Maybe you're going to have to start reading your Bible. You might have to find your way to the church house with a little more regularity. You might even have to stop doing some of those things that hinder God from moving in your life like he wants to. Before we decide that the Christian life is dull and boring, let's make sure that we have lives that are living close to Christ as close as we can. And if you can get close to him, your life will be anything but boring. Paul goes on to describe the attributes of the abundant life, and he uses three words in this verse to describe the characteristics of the abundant life. These three things, joy, peace, hope, are what all men are seeking. If men were honest, they would have to say that they spend their entire lives wanting these three things. Men have exhausted fortunes, spent countless years seeking those things but they cannot be bought. They can only be found in Jesus Christ. He and he alone is the source of joy, peace, and hope. Yet these things are the personal possession of every person who has the abundant Christian life. Now let's take a few moments and examine each one of them. Let's look at joy. When we think of joy, we immediately think of happiness. But real joy is actually more than that. It's not slapping a silly grin on your face and walking around like that all the time. It, it, it's not that. It isn't pleasure either. 
All of these things are affected by our circumstances. When all the situations in life please us, we're happy. When there are problems, we're unhappy. No. Real joy cannot be touched by the circumstances of life because real joy is a sovereign gift of God. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Real joy that Christ imparts by communion with him, by fellowship with him, by standing on the word of God cannot be shaken. It endures all things with a confident glory that nothing can rattle. Now let's face it. You and I will not always be happy as we go through life. But we can always have joy. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul is not saying that we should be always happy. He's saying that there should always be the joy of the Lord in our hearts that is real and is vital because of our relationship with him. By the way, it is noteworthy to mention that Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote those precious words. Our circumstances change, but the Lord never changes. The relationships of life wax and wane, but our relationship with God never wavers. He gives us, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, joy unspeakable and full of glory. So we should learn to be just like Job, whom when he was attacked by the devil never lost his cool. He turned around and he worshiped the Lord. Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. You see, Job knew a truth that many of us need to get a hold on. It's found in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you have the joy of the Lord? That is your strength. Secondly, we look at peace. The abundant life is one characterized by peace. This is a word that means to join together. It's the exact opposite of the word worry, which means to pull apart. The life that's filled with the Lord's best is a life that's not pulled apart by worry, but it's one that rests in the promises and the power of God. It's a life that knows true peace of heart. It knows that whatever may come in life, it is all in the hand of the Lord to either allow it or to stop it. It doesn't concern itself with which may happen. It merely leaves the choice in the hand of God, knowing that God will take care of all matters, according to Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, 
and to those who are called according to his purpose. Jesus promised us that he would give us peace, John chapter 14 and verse 27. He gave us peace with God when he died for our sins on the cross and we received him, according to Romans 5 and verse 1. But there's a daily peace that we can experience in every situation according to Philippians 4 and verse 7. Do you have that peace? Regardless of what's happening in your life, do you know that the Lord is in control, that he will take care of you? You see, that's the peace of the abundant life. And then you have the word hope. A third characteristic of this abundant life is hope. Now, this is not the wishful thinking that the word hope that's come to mean in our society. This is a more deep, settled conviction based on a clear word from God. The redeemed of Christ have the promises of God to rest upon. These promises give us hope. And if you're lost right now, you have no hope. If you're lost and never have come to Christ for salvation, regardless of what happens to you tomorrow, it's a bad thing because you have no hope, you have no anchor, you have nothing to cling to. No matter how good it may appear on the surface, it might serve to drive a wedge between you and the Lord, whether it be money, marriage, death, or the rapture. However, if you are saved, no matter what happens, you have hope. And if you're saved, you serve a God who is in control of every situation. Now, how do you get this kind of life? If life can be more abundantly and you can live the abundant life, then how in the world can I get it? Anybody in their right mind would want it. The answer is found in two words in verse 13. Those words are in believing. Paul says that the abundant Christian life is appropriated by faith. Now that may be a problem for some. There are people who may think that they have no faith. However, the Bible says that you do. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. And friend, it doesn't take that much faith to get the job done. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. In fact, you have more faith than you realize. I dare you to try and live one day without faith. You would not be able to walk, drive a car, sit in your chair, turn on the lights, go through a door, believe the newspaper, use the television, trust anyone, love your children, love your spouse. Faith is essential to our very existence. If we exercise such faith in earthly matters, surely we can learn to transfer that faith to the Lord. We obtain the abundant Christian life by faith in God and by the work of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We can't do it ourselves. We can't stop what we do and how we operate by our own power. When the Lord saved us, he placed his spirit within each one of us, and the Holy Spirit has the power to fill us and to give the abundant life 
we all want to have. It'll come from him and him alone. Now, many of us are just like his disciples. You had Simon Peter, the loudmouth. You had James and John, the hotheads. You had Thomas, the skeptic. You had Nathaniel, the pessimist. They were all full of themselves and living anything but an abundant life. However, on the day of Pentecost, they received by faith that which Jesus had for them. And when they did, they were forever changed. They each received a life that clearly bubbled over with power, authority, and glory. How do you get it? You get it by faith. By faith in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.